0: Cities don't have to be organized around the office anymore. They can be what else they're known for. They can be their cultural centers, arts, education, entertainment. People just you know sometimes people just like to live closer to other people. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that cities can still thrive, but we almost have to reimagine almost reimagine them entirely.
1: Mary Long, and that's Motley Fool Senior Analyst Matt Argesinger. Deidre Willard caught up with Matt to discuss creative ways to repurpose office space in a world where cities don't revolve around work, the shifting dynamics of the latest Sunbelt migration, and the pivotal role that parking garages could play in revitalizing urban centers. You know, since the pandemic we've been watching with cities kind of grapple with the nature of work, we've seen people spend less time in the office. You know, we've looked at data that shows the amount of hybrid work, maybe it's stabilized, but then I'm starting to see all of these reports about companies like Meta, Amazon, Alphabet, Redfin, a lot of them saying, you know, back to work in September or else. I kind of heard this last year. Is is it gonna be different this time?
0: Oh, it's a good question. I, I think we should step back a bit and um, maybe use the use data to guide us a little bit as we try to answer these questions. But I thanks for having me to to talk about this because I, I do think, and we'll kind of we'll go into this, but I do think the future of cities is really one of the defining, I guess, things of our of our time here. But I mean, it, it kind of up there with climate change, right? It's just something we that's going to change a lot, and we need to figure out, and we kind of need to figure out. Figured out pretty pretty rapidly, but yeah. Look at so talking about you know office and the whole the work from home dynamic. If you look at the the latest data from CoStar, the U.S. office vacancy rate. So it hit a high of twelve point nine percent in Q one. That is um, that's an all time high, by the way, and it's the sixth straight quarter of increases. It was under ten percent prior to the pandemic, but here we are at almost thirteen percent. But you have to remember that's that's economic vacancy. That's just you know the amount of space that's not leased. If you look at actual vacancy, so physical human occupancy, um, it's actually you know vacancies are a lot higher. If you look at for the Castle System data, they have this great back to work barometer of data that they provide, and it shows that uh, office occupancy, so physical occupancy of office buildings, was just under fifty percent in their ten city index. They've got this index of ten major cities. And so, really, it's it's less than half of of these office buildings are occupied at any given time. And in places like New York City, San Francisco, Washington D.C., you know, really big, popular office markets, the average is closer to forty percent. So we're seeing just not a lot of occupancy right now in office buildings, despite kind of these headlines we're seeing about, hey, come back to the office, come back at least three days a week, et cetera, et cetera. So the other thing too is that this overall this 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 vacancy rate doesn't capture the the amount of space that tenants are actually making available for sublease so you have you have companies that are leasing space that are under long term leases but they've actually set aside a portion of their space to subleasing so just as one example it's estimated that 7.2% of san francisco's office space while it's leased right now it's available for sublease I I, I read an article in the San Francisco Standard that says there's 3.5 million square feet of office from 13 companies in the city uh, alone. So, yes, major companies, you, you mentioned some, Alphabet, Amazon. Meta, uh, J.P. Morgan's another one. They, they're kind of urging, mandating workers to come back at least on a part-time basis, and I think it will have an effect. But I'm not sure it puts a dent. And I, don't, I don't know how you feel this about this. It just doesn't feel like it's going to put in a dent in this this long-term structural secular movement that we have to a more distributed workforce. Uh, I just think the idea, and we should get into this more, but the idea of kind of this centralized CBD headquarters or major office center. It it feels like it's in the past and it it became so in just rapid fashion.
1: Yeah. You know, you mentioned San Francisco. Salesforce is a great example of that in terms of sublease because they built this huge tower, right?
0: I know. It's one of the (laughs) biggest skyscrapers in the, in the country, actually, just recently. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a gorgeous building. They built it. And now at least part of that is is up for sublease. You know, And the other thing is, as much as companies are mandating back to work, I don't think I've heard of any of them that are mandating five days a week. They're all talking about two to three days. So no matter what, you've got You've got less occupancy in terms of physical occupancy happening. And that's, I think that's an important distinction too, because we've got physical occupancy, which is, you know, bodies in seats, and then you've got Building occupancy, which is we paid for a lease, so we're paying for a lease often for five days a week, but we've only got people in there maybe two to three days a week, and that that, that is sort of interesting too.
0: Right, and and remember those leases. By the way, a lot of these companies, unfortunately, they they're just they have those leases, but they're expiring. And, you know, leases always expire, right? And so imagine a lot of those leases expiring in the next year, or two or three years. Many of those companies are not going to renew those leases, so you've got kind of this this economic you know, uh, occupancy rate, that's probably going to come down even further. So I wouldn't be surprised if, I hate to say it, but a year from now, we might see more all-time highs in terms of uh, the office vacancy rate.
1: Yeah, that's an important thing to keep in mind because it has been this slow burn. So when the pandemic happened and everybody said, well, buildings are still being occupied, so it's fine. But what people didn't understand is that you've got three year, five year leases that are all on different time frames. And we're just now really seeing the impact of that. Right.
0: They're just going to keep rolling through. So and, and I expect we'll we'll just see those those vacancy rates continue to climb.
1: And they're happening at a time when interest rates have shifted and, you know, the the ability to negotiate is is dramatically different as well. Right. Well, let's kind of talk about the what ifs. So if we if we have this assumption that okay, we're probably not all rushing back into the office when summer is over, what does a central business district look like? Because traditionally central business district, you've got the big tall buildings, you've got people rushing in and out during the daytime. Maybe it's not so active at night. You've got ground floor retail. You know, I I heard this quote recently from urban uh sort of like an urbanist and thought leader, Richard Florida. He said that this is the opportunity to move cities beyond containers for working. And I thought that was really powerful because that's sort of what a central business district did. It is a place where we all go to work. So if it's not that, then what is it?
0: It's very interesting to ponder, I would say, because if you think about how we organized work in the past, you know, going back hundreds of years ago, it was all about you know around farms and agriculture, right? That's where we sort of centered the population. Um, then it became about industry: where were factories? Where were plants? Where were big manufacturing facilities? Where was transportation? You know, where were ports uh, or you know rail ma- major rail lines? And and then I think as we moved into the twentieth century and certainly as we got into the 21st century it became about the inform- you know it became the information economy it became the services economy and so it became about financial companies and so be- technology so all of a sudden we shifted the, the basis for work and the basis for population around cities because that's like you said that's where the these buildings were that's where we organize life that's where you know, in in during the day, a city like New York City or the Washington D.C. their their populations would swell because you have these workers commuting into the city, commuting to these buildings, and that that serves so many things beyond just the office, right? Like you mentioned, it has is, there's retail establishments, restaurants to serve lunch, transportation, public transportation, buses, subways to serve those commuters. That's all really. I hate to say it, but it's been kind of upended uh, since the pandemic, and. Um, Cities will have to evolve. They, they will simply have to evolve because if you, if, if you look at New York City, for example, uh, it depend, depending on the source you use, property taxes make up around 50% of New York City's revenue. And the lion's share of that in New York City is office. So if a substantial portion of that tax base is not going to be operational uh, or it's going to shrink, where is a city like New York going to get its revenue from? There has to be some serious thinking around this, and 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 I I'm I'm an optimist, right? And I think you are too. I mean, cities don't have to be organized around the office anymore. They can be what else they're known for. They can be their cultural centers, arts, education, entertainment. People just you know sometimes people just like to live closer to other people. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that cities can still thrive, but we almost have to reimagine almost reimagine them entirely. Um, And I think people always want to live in cities. I think they just might no longer want to commute to cities. <laughs> that is, I think, a big distinction. And one of my big fears, and we can talk more about this later in the show, but my big fears is that cities are gonna kind of react too sharply to the change, right? They're they're gonna realize that office is going away going away. They're gonna realize that their tax revenue is gonna shrink, they're gonna stop investing and in, in funding things like public transportation or other projects that make cities better because they're worried about short-term funding problems or or planning issues. And that would exacerbate, I think, the problem with cities. Um, That would take away from what makes cities special and livable. And I I, I worry a lot of city governments are going to take these drastic measures, and it's going to be almost self-reinforcing.
1: Well, the other thing I'm thinking about, too, when you think about these... You've got this trend that's sort of mostly pandemic-driven, but before that, you had this trend toward gig work. And we know that that's happening. We know that the amount of freelancers is rising. And the the younger generations that I'm thinking about, too, they're they're definitely breaking out of the 40-hour week, I go, I sit at a desk, and I do my work eight hours a day, and I come home. That's that's not the way that, that really the future is going to be kind of going to be lived. And so one of the things I'm thinking about is whether or not that changes how we consider the office now. Because even when I go to the office now, I'm going. I'm not necessarily going for the full day. I might do a couple of hours at work at home. I'll go in to have a meeting with people or, or do something else. And then I might leave right after that, go home, work some more. So I think that as we start to think about this, do things like like we work, and let's look, we can talk a little bit about WeWork because they they have so much of the office space, but are we going to see offices used in that more flexible kind of manner?
0: Right. I love that. I mean, I think, yeah, like you and I went in a week or so ago to do to film some stuff in the studio. And, you know, I, I showed up maybe an hour before we did that and I left kind of shortly after we we had finished. And, and I think that is a good example. And you know, I, I like I like that you brought up sort of the the younger generation's kind of Approaching work differently because I think a lot of those trends might have been in place even before the pandemic. I mean, remember, we work was a was a thing, a major thing before the pandemic, before we even got close to it. And um, the whole idea of this collaborative workspace, where it's not so much a centralized location anymore, where you need all your employees to be right. It's it can be more of a collaborative space, or you can have sort of satellite offices where. Where workers get together on an infrequent basis, or, or you know, and and things like uh, you know, um, travel to conferences or events, or to bring teams together that work in different places. I mean, there's there's a lot of possibilities. So it's there's uses for office that uh, that you know, there's still obviously going to be demand for for office space or conference space. It's just um, you know whether or not it's 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 in this sort of centralized office location that we've been. Living in for for probably a hundred years at this point, that that certainly feels like a thing of the past.
1: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the investing aspect of this because I'm invested in a couple of office freets. I'm sort of looking for opportunities in others, but I'm also I'm I'm nervous about that. You know. Th- the the prices for these companies are very low right now, but the future is also a little scary because most of the forecasts I've seen say that office office rates aren't going to go up until at least 2025. And really, nobody knows. We can't really predict the future. So how are you thinking about office rates? Are, are you semi-optimistic? Are you seeing any opportunities?
0: I am... I wouldn't call myself optimistic. I would okay. say I would say there are there are some areas of opportunity um, given given what's happened to the space. But uh, yeah, I mean, you shared with me some some data from the Urban Land Institute, which looked at you know office occupancy rates, uh, rents, valuations, and you know like like you said, it's going to take several years at least to work through what I think has you know, rapidly become this excess supply of office space, and. What I, the the companies or the the types of office that I think is really going to suffer are your older Class B buildings that don't have a lot of in house or nearby amenities to attract workers or tenants. So that those are just I mean those are those are already tough and out of favor in a lot of places now. Even post pandemic, there's, there's lower demand for office, they're going to get they're just going to get left behind because you, you workers and tenants are going to want to be in. You know, higher end class A office space that's clean, cleaner, more modern. You know, with more amenities attached to it. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard to draw in a lot of workers on a regular basis. So, um, I, I think if you're if you're looking at REITs for, and you mentioned you own some, I own some office REITs as well. I mean, I think if you're looking at traditional office REITs that focus on kind of core CBD assets like your SL Greens Boston properties, or even smaller ones like Brandywine Realty Trust or, or City Office REIT. I think it's going to be really, really challenging for these REITs. Uh, it's it's going to take some time, and there's going to be some defaults. There's going to be uh, some real pressure on funds from operations, which is kind of a cash flow metric for REITs. And uh, rents are just probably not going to grow. Uh, occupancy is going to be lower. Debt, and this is the key thing, debt is going to need to be rolled over or refinanced. Uh, you know, on a rolling basis. And so a lot of these buildings, you know, the the REIT controls, you know, obviously the equity. But a lot of times, banks, especially regional mid-sized banks, own a lot of the debt. And if the equity is getting wiped out, which in a lot of cases it has, those banks are going to want to get you know, their debt out of it. And it's, it's just really, really challenging. And so, now, there are some parts of the market. If you look at, for example, um, one we've talked about in the past, Alexandria Real Estate Equities, which is you know, predominantly a life sciences REIT, maybe a Health Peak Properties or even a easterly government properties, which focuses only on federal government leases. Those will probably work out okay. I mean, they're still beaten down and there's still some challenges there, but I think those are going to be working out okay. But the tra- traditional office REITs are the ones that uh, you're going to want to watch out for.
1: Yeah. SL Green, I know they're trying to expand into other areas. I mean, I, I like them because they have top tier properties. i little worried about them because they're uh, almost 100% in New York. They're trying to maybe do a casino in Times Square, but that's Way way down the road. Other thing, you know, speaking about New York versus other areas, you know, I I I tended to see this originally as a coastal city problem, but now I'm starting to see signs of weakness in some of the markets that were. Considered to be the next big thing, Charlotte, for example, their vacancy rate is going up partly because that's that's a banking city, and some of those some of those big banks are starting to reduce their space. How much do you think the the Sun Belt migration thing that you and I have talked about a lot is is that going to shift again?
0: Well, I, I think for in terms of office, I think it's they'll hold up better. But you're right; you really have to pick your spots. You have to pick your markets, like you mentioned Charlotte, which I think is a great example. It's yeah it's it's a banking financial hub, right? and so and those those types of tenants have have been more you know more amenable to flexible work off you know work relationships with their employees. and so it's created a problem. And just as we've seen in certain markets uh, in San Francisco, l a that are, are more tech driven, uh, same thing, more flexibility to the worker, you know less demand for office. Uh, places that will probably do better, you know, if you look at maybe your your Jacksonvilles, miami's. Uh, maybe your, your markets in Texas, and Dallas, or Austin, even though there's still pockets of weakness and those places saw huge demand, I think there's a lot of cases where there's been so much migration and so much movement among corporations down to those places that they're probably not going to face the same Amount of challenges. But again, you have to be real specific and pick your markets. And that that in a way, that's the beauty of real estate. And we we talk about all this time. It's a very diversified sector. So here we are, we're railing against office and we're talking about, you know, that kind of situation. But it's there's a lot of also a lot of positive things happening with real estate in a lot of those markets, whether it's apartments or industrial, even retail and hospitality. But but yeah, the office, no matter what, I think if you're a real estate investor, it's, it's really hard to get excited about office right now. And you can do so much better on a risk-adjusted basis anyway, looking at other sectors, at least in the near term.
1: Yeah, that that's a good point. So, speaking about that, what other areas should we be considering, is there another, is there a way that some of these office buildings can be repurposed? Because we talked a little bit before, we've talked about this, about residential. You know, I've seen some of the stats that it's not necessarily going to be the easiest thing to convert these build. You, you can't really turn a lot of office buildings into apartments and then that's just the end of it. But there are some other things I'm seeing. So vertical warehousing, edge computing. I saw a post the other day about the idea of turning these, turning some of these buildings into kind of vertical malls, almost like the like the old fashioned like an, like a Macy's where you've got different things, except it's not not one store but just different stores on every level. Are we going to sort of open up this creativity, and is that going to bring energy back to cities?
0: I think so, and I hope so. It it, and there's that just makes so much sense, right? There are, yeah. It's going to be very expensive to do, and and you mentioned it. Like a lot of people think, well, we can just you know convert all these office buildings to apartments. Uh, It's it's so difficult to do that. A lot of the a lot of office buildings just aren't uh, aren't can't be converted just because of the way they're they're structured. You know, the plumbing isn't right, the utilities aren't right, they have to be upsized, the floor plates are too large, column spacing's weird, there aren't enough windows. And so people tend to un- underestimate the cost and, and zoning changes that would be required to turn you know, your traditional city office building into an apartment. But it's happening to a small extent. Well, your other ideas are I think are much better, which yeah which is the whole idea of vertical warehousing or building more of a mixed-use property where maybe certain floors are still office, but then certain floors are retail, or certain floors are hotel, hospitality, maybe. There's just there's a lot of things that can be done. I, I just think what has to happen is the cities themselves have to have to make it possible for those kinds of transitions to happen. And there's such draconian, as you know, zoning regulations or tax implications that you know your typical developer is going to say why it's too expensive it's too hard it's going to take years i can't get in there and and do it even though i know that this particular type of real estate is much more in demand and has much more long-term potential and so it it goes back to kind of what we were saying at the beginning of the show there has to be almost this entire rethinking of how cities are designed and zoned and and, and think about things something simple like parking requirements so many buildings have you know minimum parking requirements that have to be satisfied and it, it, it's never made sense to me as to why cities have such, such high standards there when, you know, we really don't want a lot of parking in cities, right? We want people to be using public transportation or walking. So even lessening some of those types of restrictions can really open up more development. Uh, it just, so many things have to be rethought and it's going to take a lot of different players from both the private and public sectors to come together saying this is what makes sense. And in the past, unfortunately, those types of groups have been more in conflict with each other than Collaborative. So it's gonna take uh like they say, the cliche, it's gonna take a village <laughs> to make it all happen.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I think you brought up something really interesting with the idea of public private partnerships because you're absolutely right. For the most part, it's traditionally it is, you know, a developer wants to build something, they see where they can make a profit, then they go to the city and they ask for it. Sometimes you get I mean, there are things like low income, they're like low income housing tax credits there are other credits for affordable housing things like that but there's not a lot of public support for building offices unless they're going to have maybe public space with it sometimes so it's a, it's a bit of a challenge to get to get the government i think i think behind that but i want to zero in on what you talked about with parking because that is you know, a, a few years ago, I was at this real estate conference, and guy got up on stage. He's like, "You know, cities are going to be redone in five years. Autonomous driving is going to be everywhere. There will be no more parking garages. We parking is not even something we're going to have to worry about." That didn't come to pass, but we are starting to see some things. You and I uh, looked at an article uh, recently from the Real Deal talking about digital Realty Trust maybe tearing down a parking garage in downtown LA and putting in a data center. Is there an opportunity to take? all of that real estate in cities that is parking and turn it into something else?
0: Oh absolutely. And, I, and that's a future I would love to see. I think everyone would right because
1: they're not pretty.
0: <laughs> well no those are pretty, but I'm just saying the whole, the whole idea of, uh, of removing excess parking, especially remember if we, if we move to a city or move to a future where a city doesn't have this big commuting population coming in and driving cars, there's just there's better uses for a lot of that space, and I, you know, of course, I think we'd love to see autonomous driving take over. It's safer, it's cleaner, it's you know, it's more efficient. You know, there's not a need to have parking, and it's it's more cars as a service. I'd also, of course, love to see public transportation continue to be uh, you know funded and 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 a critical part of cities, uh, because that's what makes cities livable. And uh, you know, autonomous vehicles, I, I know the future is a little farther off than we thought, but it's so much you think of it's so much more possible and appropriate for cities than it is you know outside of cities where it, there's just a lot more variability but cities tend to be you know the way they're designed very amenable to autonomous driving and and so gosh you'd love to see it right because it just seems like such a better way to get around a city I mean you know I love, I love New York City I love visiting New York City but the whole idea of you know the idea of hailing for cabs and I mean it's just it's a it's a pain to get around that city sometimes and I just imagine if there was just a a fleet of autonomous vehicles that were constantly going around you just jump in jump out and that would be that would make getting around new york city so much you know easier and more enjoyable and 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 that goes for all cities. And so yeah, there's just there's a wide range of, of different uses for all kinds of assets within cities and parking's one of them. We've probably too many parking garages, too many underground parking. And we can, we can get rid of a lot of that and make that space a lot better used by especially by the people who live in the cities.
1: Well, I keep coming back to the idea of the 15-minute city, which has been talked about a lot in in Europe, but there have also been things like the super blocks in Barcelona. The whole 15-minute city idea is that you can do everything you want in 15 minutes without getting into a car. Maybe you need a bicycle or a scooter, but that's about it. And it seems to me like some of our smaller cities are Already there a little bit. That's one of the sort of longer trends we've seen that that as millennials move to some of the smaller cities, they sort of wanted more for walkable space. So that was a trend we saw, you know, pre pandemic. Do you think that is more where we're heading?
0: I I hope so. I mean, it's it's like I said, it's a better future. And I think one of the things you brought up earlier about the younger generations, I think that is much more appealing to younger generation. Imagine, you know, living in a city. Your job, your office, your, the office that you go to three days a week is you know within 15 minutes. The place where you go get your groceries is within 15 minutes. The place where you you know meet your friends or to go to the coffee shop or go to a bar or a restaurant or or out for the night is is 50 is within 15 minutes. And that I mean, who wouldn't want that, right? I think that's what you're seeing, and unfortunately, it seems to be happening happening in sort of these isolated developments, these mixed use developments. You're seeing in certain places where the developers coming in and, and building all that versus you don't. You don't. You see less of it happening within existing cities, um, and I think that's that's the question mark. Can is it something that can happen, you know, in in our existing cities given our existing infrastructure? Um, you'd hope to see it because I think that is a, a much better future for cities than what we have today.
1: Always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Mary Long. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.